All right, you ready? This is the Trail Runners Experience. I'm your host, Daniel Ferrugia. Let's go. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Trail Runners Experience. I'm Daniel Ferrugia and yes, it's been a long time between uh, episodes. I've been a busy man, uh, thankful in a good way. We've got lots of coaching going on and lots of run, my own running plus the busyness of family life. And I've been so busy that I haven't been able to upload episodes of this podcast. Lots of people asking when the next episode is coming out. And then I had a recent guest come onto the, he contacted me and sometimes when I record a really good episode, sometimes the guest follows me home and wants to be my friend, which is perfectly okay with me because I've, I've made a good mate and he has now, he, he's now elevated himself or we've elevated him to the level of co-host. And so I'd like to welcome Ashley Drew as co-host welcome ashley thank you very much it's nice to be part of the team oh mate you did very well it's you know like i say they sometimes they follow me home and um yeah that's good so um so i guess anyone who didn't listen to the podcast with you they should go back and listen to it so we learn a bit more about you but um maybe just in 200 words or less maybe you can just tell us a little bit about yourself and like I say, if anyone wants to hear more about Ashley's incredible story, they should definitely go back and listen to episode 39. And um, But yeah, 200 words or less, Ash. What do you got? All right. So uh, a quick background. Um, I have spent most of my adult life, so 25 odd years, working as a coach. And uh, not necessarily in running, but in other sports. Um, and... It does include some running. I'm a, I'm a pretty keen and avid runner myself. And uh, I also uh, currently am, uh, under, well, I, I have stage four cancer. So, and I'm undergoing ongoing treatment for that. But um, I've found that running has made treatment a lot more effective. And uh, it's very therapeutic, both mentally and physically for me. So, um yeah, I just wanted to, to try and give back a bit to the running community that I love. Excellent. Yeah. So basically, yeah, so Ash has stage four cancer, which is like as bad as it gets, but we don't treat him any different. He's, um, he's, a, he's a big boy and we get to talk about running and that's pretty awesome. And so he's joined me. We're going to, so then my new ep- the episodes now are going to involve um, Ash and I maybe interviewing guests. The first part of most episodes will be involve us having a bit of a chat um, about our own training and about running in general, and maybe we're going and we're going to focus on a specific topic each week about running. So um, awesome! Thank you so much, Ash. I'm so glad that um, I did get to interview you, and that now we've um, that you, we're sort of working together more or less, if you can call podcasting working, and. Um, it's pretty fun, but um, yeah. So you're, we'll just jump into the conversation. So you're in tra- pretty heavy training. Um, what have you been training for lately? 
so my next uh, event that I'm going to try and attempt, and I say try and attempt because uh, for me these days sometimes I wake up good and sometimes I don't wake up so good. Um, but uh, the, the next event that I'm going to do is the Blackhall 100, which is a 100K trail race on the Sunshine Coast. Um, it looks very exciting from the, the videos that I've watched. I haven't run those particular trails before. That's a good thing. Uh, it was only yesterday, I think, a Facebook message came up from uh, a friend of mine, uh, and he's organising a, a training run in a couple of weeks up there, so I'll probably go and tag along with that. Excellent. Uh, it'll be run at a nice slow pace, which is good for me. And... Um, We'll see how that goes. So the other thing is uh, I'll, uh, I'll get to meet Dean Carnassus uh, at that event. He's coming out to Australia to, I think he's running in the event. If not, um, he's certainly going to be there and doing promo stuff, et cetera, of course. So that, that'll be quite exciting in itself, yeah, Dean, having read his books. Yeah, he's the, sort of the original ultramarathon man, isn't he? Like um, he sort of really popularised ultra running, didn't he? he his book definitely popularized the sport mm. um there's certainly plenty of other people before him that did amazing feats and have done for a long time if if you get into ultra running history but um he has managed to popularize popularize it particularly in the u.s and then in those countries that kind of follow the u.s culture yeah Interesting. Of running, so yeah. yeah. No, that would be awesome. And so that's coming up. The Black Hall's coming up next month, isn't it? Uh, in October. Yeah, it's next month. It is. It is literally four weeks tomorrow. So oh, it starts. Yep. So the festival starts. Interesting. So we're recording this um, on the seventeenth of September. So we've just dated the podcast. But yeah, so just over a month, and you'll be running hundred k's. What's the elevation like in Black Hall? Did you say? Do you know? Uh, I'd honestly have to look it up, but I know that it, it, it gets a bunch of points So yeah. for um, entering overseas races, and the only way you get those points is that there has to be a massive amount of climbing. They yeah. don't hand those points out otherwise. Yeah. So. Um, so if you want to go and race in Europe in particular, if there's not climbing in the event, they, they won't count it. Yeah. Um, and that's how it works. So do you... So this is probably a question that a lot of people have, are thinking, and it's like, it's like, how does a bloke who's terminally ill train for something and then run something like that? And like, how much of a handicap do you see yourself at with being being unwell, being having cancer? Like, in, do you think of it as a handicap? I definitely don't think of it handicapped. That's the thing that I like about running. Yeah. Like, um, I can go out and run, and no one has any idea that I'm ill unless I unless I collapse on the side of the road and I've certainly done that a number of times um, and woken up on the side of the road and I've even done that in a race and ended up going off the edge of a uh, it wasn't a cliff but it was a, it was a good two meter drop and landed on top of Lantana um, <clears throat> nice and comfortable anyway yeah it was com- it wasn't uh, it wasn't <laughs> comfortable let's go with that <laughs> but um, there was some blood there was some blood spills after that one and a bit of time spent in the medical tent. Yeah. Um, but uh, logistically, it involves a lot more planning than it used to involve. So I spend a lot more time now 
planning out the event than I than I ever used to. I just rock up to events originally and and run. Now I have to have my nutrition spot on. I've got to have medication with me. So and the medication is in an injection form. So and that has to be kept cold. So that's a, a logistics yeah effort in itself. Um, in drop bags and stuff. And yeah. Yeah. So your drop bags. My drop bags have got frozen bottles in them and the frozen bottles aren't there because I like the cold liquid uh, the frozen bottles are there to keep the, the medication cold otherwise it loses its effectiveness yeah um, and then of course uh, one thing like I did the um, last man standing event a few weeks ago and I'd made the decision that I wouldn't use any medication during that race and I didn't yeah. and I pushed myself to the point where even if I wanted to use medication, I was shaking so violently that I couldn't have injected myself with medication. So um, that, that met the end of my race. That's, Whereas if I'd injected myself an hour or two hours earlier, I would have been able to continue. But yeah. sometimes you have to be sensible. So what can you tell us a bit more about your the race itself, the last man standing race? which is sort of the, the new phenomenon that's popped up in the last couple of years and sort of they're everywhere now. So which race was this? So this was last man, uh, so it's AAA Racing's last man standing and it's run by uh, a, a great guy, Alan, and um, from AAA Racing and Coaching here in southeast Queensland. The event is on a, it's, it's a flat, I'm going to call it a flat course. It definitely undulates. And after a long time out on the course, you definitely know where it goes up and down. Uh, but it's a 6.7K course on dirt for this particular one, apart from the first 100-odd metres, which is on concrete, um, which I always walked because as soon as you hit the concrete, that wears you out quicker. Yeah, right. So I would walk the start and walk the end um, but as soon as I hit the dirt, I'd start to pick up the pace. So it's a an out and back course, and on the hour, um, each hour you leave, and you have to complete 6.7 k's, and then you come back in, and you've got a well. I had a crew, so I think a few people didn't have crews, but most people there seem to have people helping them out in some format. And that's when you, you know, you'd refuel and and sleep. Uh, I did get three lots of four minutes of sleep, which made a significant difference. Four minutes. Um, four minutes. Yeah. Wow. Not much. Uh, and four. And no, it's not much. But four minutes of sleep makes the massive difference in an ultra race. Yeah. Wow. Uh, my number one piece of advice anyone doing an ultra is before you cut off your tag to say, oh, I want to get out of this race because you've had enough, would be to have a sleep. Yeah, right. Even if it's even if it's only 10 minutes, you'd be surprised at just what that does for the human body. It's mind-blowing how good a little bit of sleep is. It's incredible, isn't it? It's um, But, I mean, I personally would find it hard to um, probably start up again. And, and this is where – so I've never done a race where sleep – is a factor like a hundred kilometers i've done a number of 100k races and so this is a new realm for me and it's i mean next year i'll be doing a hundred miler and so that might be a factor um so yeah it's, it's fascinating that people i know you hear about like 
athletes like uh, Courtney DeWalter, she'll just lay down on the trail for five minutes and then she'll just get up and keep running and then, you know, crush some record. And so it's, um, it's phenomenal. Did, what about like your, um, so in the last man standing, how far did you end up getting? How many? I ended up running for 21 hours, so 140 plus kilometers, um, which was excellent. I think that, that in the last man standing, the only winner is the winner and then everyone else is a DNF. So I DNF'd, I think, in somewhere between 15th and 20th spot because there would have been maybe four or five of us who DNF'd at the 21-hour mark. Um, it was starting to get really cold at that point in time. Yep. So that was um, frustrating. Yeah, that would be frustrating. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the trick there, I think, next year, if if I'm well enough to be able to run it again, will be to eat warm food when it gets cold. Yeah, keep your core temperature um, up. Yeah, I think. yeah, just keep your core, core temperature up. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. So to not, mm. to not let it drop. The other, the other thing that I found was um, you've got really limited time to get changed and so on, and keeping dry keeps your, your thermoregulation in a much nicer place. So um, like a race number, to be able to take a race number off and on and off quickly, like you start to lose dexterity in your fingers. So to not have um, – to have a quicker way of taking a number on and off definitely would be an advantage, which I learnt it's, um, during that race. I've never worn a, a race number belt before. I've always just pinned it to my shorts or shirt um, because I've always kept the number on, whereas in this event – because you can change every hour, you know, take all your gear with you and you get changed and you're just much more comfortable. It's interesting. It's really good advice even for just a, for, for ultras in general is like, you know, keeping as dry as you can for as long as you can. Um, I'm, I personally am someone who's really susceptible to the cold. Like in races, I, I, I reckon I'm usually the first person to feel it, you know, to really, and I've, I've had hypothermia in races before and I've found that the best, you know, really focusing on keeping that your core you know like your torso as dry as possible makes a big difference like even if your fingers and your toes are cold um if you can keep the that the bulk of your body warm and dry it makes a huge difference hey like oh a huge difference yeah. staying dry is a massive factor yeah um yeah it, it's that's that's the it's the trick of not wearing too much like when the when it's hot, is to not wear too much so that you don't sweat as much, um, which is hard to do when you're running. But if you can keep it down a bit, like you can just wear clothes for longer before you need to get changed. Uh, and that's the other thing. In it, you know, in any long event, I always chuck a towel in the drop bag, and and that way you can dry off properly. Um, lots of people take changes of clothes, etc. Too, like if it's a long event. Um, just being able to stay dry is a big thing. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah, so I find the uh, last man standing format really exciting from the point of view that, like in a normal ultra, a trail ultra anyway, you you disappear onto a trail and you can end up running by yourself for hours, um, Whereas, which is good in itself. Like I don't mind being by myself for hours. But um, in the last man standing, like you you sit in, like you're in the corral at the start where everyone's bunched together and then everyone takes off and, you know, you get your fast runners who disappear 
Um, but you'll always end up running with someone. And because it's an out-and-back course, you get to see everybody a couple of times on that particular race. Um, and then when you come back in, like, there's all these people cheering you in. So every hour you're getting cheered in and cheered out. And wow. so it's just really exciting. And, I mean, I knew quite a few people uh, either doing the event or helping with the event, and that they kept, you know, checking up on me to make sure that I wasn't going to pass away on the on the event but um it's bad for business you know like they, they just say you know like do you need anything how can i help and that was like every hour so there's not many trail running events where you know you get to an aid station every hour it's fantastic um, yeah not in australia anyway overseas there might be but not here i think um it's reminiscent of like your 24-hour races on the track and stuff and things like that um you know the one here in Adelaide that's the it's every 2.2 kilometers you've got an aid station and so it's even more frequently and I I, I think it'd be every hour would be good I found I, I do find that on the track when it's 2.2 kilometers it's almost too frequently like you can't get into that it sort of breaks your rhythm every time you, you don't get into that rhythm yeah I don't know if you yeah. can relate to this sometimes I don't want to be cheered and I'm pretty sure everyone goes through that um, I just want to like just I want to be invisible sometimes when I go through an aid station because I'm just so in my own head at the time and it's a really um, unusual feeling I don't know like I feel rude I love I love the aid station like volunteers and all that but I just you know when you ha you might be going through a low point and you're just like I just don't need anybody I don't want to talk to anybody and um, but then other times like I desperately want to talk to people so it's um it's interesting. It's it's um, definitely a, a, a growing phenomenon. The the last man standing, you know, like it's fascinating. It's a fascinating concept, and I feel like there's a lot more that they can do with it. Um, yeah. So I, I, I there's one I'd love to organise one. I think I've mentioned it to you before about because I live here in Adelaide, and we've got in the Adelaide Hills here. There's lots of trails and. Um, I live near Black Hill, which is quite, not a huge um, sort of park or conservation park, but it's got like some pretty steep hills like and, um, and pretty rocky trails. And there's one loop that I would love to do a last minute standing race on, and it's 4.2 kilometers only, and but it's like over 250 meters of climbing in that, and so it's a fair bit of climbing and it's really rocky climbing as well so oh so it's, it's quite technical yeah yeah so it doesn't matter which direction you do the loop in you are going to be um encountering it's hard going down either way so like because you've got obviously it starts at the bottom of the hill and you go up over the top of the hill and back down and um yeah so i don't know but one day, organising a race would be hard work, and I imagine organising a last man standing race would be very hard work. Um, uh, look, my my hat goes off many times. Like whenever I enter an event, especially one of the you know, even the tiny events where there's only a few people turn up, the amount of effort that a race director puts in to making an event come off is just phenomenal. I, I know. Um, you know, a, a race that I did early in the year, the, the Guzzler, like I went out running um, with a couple of the rangers who, who work in the National Park one day, not knowing that they were rangers, they were just joining us for the run and then they got introduced like a bit later as we're the local rangers 
so I'm glad I didn't say too much. But um, yeah, yeah, they were just saying like just the paperwork and the back and forth involved in just getting permission to be able to run an event through an area, and then what they have to back it up with with medical staff and um, clean up beforehand afterwards. Um, yeah, that's it, it, that's hard works, you know, being a race director for. But really, when you look at the amount of money you pay for a lot of events, you don't pay that much compared with the workload that those guys have to do. Yeah. They're certainly, they're not getting rich. Let's go with that. No. That's for sure. No, it's, 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 a, it's a love, it's all for love, you know. So. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Um, but, you know, runners will turn up. You organise an event and if it's a bit unique, the runners will turn up. It's like that uh, that movie with Kevin Costner, was it? it Oh, you yeah, build it and they will come? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely, but... absolutely. And that seems to be the, the thing with the, the Last Man Standing. I mean, um, I know that uh, the one at Oxley, which is the one I did, so the Clint Eastwood it's called, the Last Man Standing, the Clint Eastwood, it's yep. already sold out for next year. That's amazing. Um, it, it sold out, I think, within 72 hours of it going up online. Yeah, right. Like, phenomenal. And, yeah. that, and that's a year out. Like, yeah. that's, yeah, big. And um, is it a golden ticket one? Is it one of those ones that gets you a ticket? It is a golden ticket next year. Yeah, yeah. that's probably why. So, is, and is there like a um, oh, what's, like a, a process where only certain people can qualify for it? Like it's. I don't know how the golden ticket. Oh, you mean for the actual race or for the golden ticket? Um, no, for the for the race because I know there's some races. Some of those last man standing races have limited numbers. They're very small numbers, and so they have to um. You know, only certain runners, or they often will have. There was one down in Victoria, and I think they had like a. Um, they invited only had invites. You had to be invited to the event. You know. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. And this particular one, it was just um, for this year anyway. It was just pay and come, uh, and for next year, it's already sold out. You might find that twenty twenty one, they start to have to restrict it. Yeah. So. I just think, because of how exciting and popular it is. Yeah, I I truly think it's going to be um, in the next couple of years. We're going to see more and more of them, and I think there might be. Um, yeah, I. It'll be a, a bit of a glut, if anything. Like with trail running in general, and ultra running has just is just booming in recent years. Like even it's been booming for a while, but I feel like in the last two or three years, it's just gone even crazier. You know, and I don't. It's just so become so popular in the mainstream. It's it's almost a mainstream sport in some ways. Um, obviously, not it's not you're not going to see it on the news like your football roundup or whatever. But um, not yet. But you know, trail running in general, it, there's whispers that it may be eligible to be an Olympic sport in maybe not this coming Olympics, but the Olympics are Olympics afterwards. Um, because it's been recognised, trail running has been recognised by the IAAF now. Um, so there's, um, it'd be really, as soon as you make something an Olympic sport, it does make it even more popular, you know what I mean? So um, Yeah, it, it'll get, it, once you make it an Olympic sport, it gets funding yeah. differently. So, so it'll change yeah. the sport a lot, and then you'll have more and more, um, I feel like it's going to, there'll be, then you get problems like the, the positives and the negatives. Like there'll be people wanting to win more, so therefore there'll be probably more incidents of um, you know cheats or you know and um, 
But I think generally the sport as a whole has just grown in such a positive way. And it is a really positive, um, you know, it's a positive sport that focus, uh, the, the thing I like about it, it's not aggressive. It's not an aggressive sport and it's just, it's a very supportive sport. So um, hopefully it doesn't lose its um, sort of origins down the track, you know? So we're, um, yeah. But I just wanted to ask you, so um, sort of moving out, looking at our, our training. And so your, tell me about your current training. What does it look like? Let's, I'd like to hear a bit about what your, just a little bit about what your, how you're training for Black Hole and beyond. So you train, you run. Well, it's, it, it's interesting. I, I went out, I've been doing a lot of training since, um, just for, for family reasons and for fitting the training load in. Um, I haven't done a lot of trails and a lot of hills recently. And then on the weekend, I went out and did a good climb, um, the sort of climbing, you know, running up and over a mountain that involves hands and legs at times. Yes. And um, at that point, I, I said to the guy that I was running with, uh, a good mate of mine, I said, I think I need to do a bit more training in the hills because I, I was I was just feeling a bit wrecked. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like once we hit the flat again, like we picked the pace back up to five-minute Ks, but climbing up just didn't feel right. Now, I didn't fatigue or anything. Like it just – when you train on a surface all the time, you just feel better like when you're on that surface. Yeah. So you feel better for that surface. Um, and, yeah, I just need to do more of that. But overall, my training, it uh, I, I generally do over 100 kilometres a week myself. I find that if I drop below 100 kilometres a week, um, I have to take more cancer medication. So um, go go figure. The doctors are still trying to work out what's going on with that, but th- their answer is quite simply: if it works, keep doing it. So yeah. So we've been doing that. So I, I it's one of the reasons. Like I was chatting with you a week ago or two weeks ago, and said I really hate taper because taper drops my K's down, and I actually become more ill when I drop my K's down. In, so, so interesting. Yeah. Um, my, I have a theory, my theory, and look, keeping in mind, I have no medical training. I have a first aid certificate. Um, I have, um, that doesn't cl- really count though, but my theory is, um, it's the endorphins that you're getting from running are probably helping with the pain relief. And, um, you know, they say running activates the cannabinoid receptors in your brain. And, um, yeah. and that's, so basically you're getting like. It's like you're getting stoned when you're running. Um, it's, it's very similar to someone who's smoking weed, the same kind of feeling. Um, and maybe, just call me crazy here, feel free to shoot me down. It's almost like, a, yeah, it's medicinal running, you know? You've got medicinal running going. It's that, you know, does that make sense? It does. I, I understand what you're saying. I can't, I've never smoked dope, so I can't directly compare that, although that's on my list of parent medications once I become chronically bad and stuck in hospital. But, yeah, um, yeah it, uh, it, it definitely – the running works. Yeah. So, Good. I mean, this, this week um, I've run 40Ks yesterday and, and 24Ks today, which is – they're both done at a, my easier pace. Yep. 
and tomorrow will be a hard run. So I'll do an easy warm-up, a speed as fast as I can go, um, and then I'll do a, a warm-down, and then I'll back back off again. I'll back right back off again on on uh, Thursday and Friday. So shorter runs, again, easy, lots of easy runs. Then Saturday I'll go back up to a long run and then back that up on Sunday with a long, what what is effectively a long run, but it's a little bit less than Saturday. Yeah. Uh, again, at, at easy pace. So I'm only doing one session a week that's like a genuine, I need to think about it, hard session. Yeah. Um, and I need to have the right music playing through my headphones because yeah. it's it's that harder session. Yeah. Whereas the other the other runs are, you know, easy runs and if I am listening to music then yeah, you know, I can listen to the news because I'm running at that sort of pace. It doesn't matter. Um, I'm not trying to motivate myself as such. Um, or I go and, you know, run with other people who for them it might be their faster run or it might be their slower run. Again, you know, I just mix it up and we go that way. So lots and lots of easy running, basically, um, and then lots of rest in between. That, that's interesting, because um, that was something we wanted to talk, sort of touch on today, and I suppose it's now as good a time as any to talk about it, um, and that is about easy running. And so, and like, because I know we had a discussion a few weeks ago about um, sort of the necessity for easy running, and, um, and what does it look like, and why do we do it? You know, so I think it's really interesting that because a lot of people, and it's you know, a, a beginner will quite often run too fast too often. You know what I mean? Um, most people do it. Um, it's easy to happen. Sometimes you'll run too fast too often towards the end of a training block, and that can quite often happen because um, you're feeling really good, and so. There's a tendency that for your easy runs to turn into faster runs. And um, I don't know if you've ever done I mean, I've done that. Um, so That's when most people get injured. Exactly. Right, you know, when, when everyone's going, oh, I need to pull out just before the event, it's because they, they felt good, they pushed a little bit too hard at the end and yeah. paid the consequence. Yeah, and um, tell me about, you had a conversation with a very fast marathon runner a few weeks back, and that sort of got, sort of got this conversation rolling with us. So you met at like a sub-220 runner, is that right? Yeah, so um, I met Isaias, and Isaias, he ran he ran up the Sydney Marathon the weekend, he came sixth. So wow. o- overall, um, and he was, a bit, he was actually a bit slower, so I haven't spoken to him since, or... Um, you know, found out why why that might have been, but it could have been any number of reasons. Anyway, he was saying that, um, like, as a junior, the most important thing is to run short distances and fast, and to, and to learn how to run fast, um, and then and and not go out and run long long distances because that just makes you slow. So. And obviously he's pretty fast, and so you know I listened to his conversation, and he was saying just how important it is to do to to make sure that there's a massive difference between your slow run or your your easy run and your fast run. Yeah. Um, and that's the biggest diff. Like if you look at professional runners, or you look at people who run for a long time, and and even with myself, uh, I've run for a little bit now. Um, 
the more you vary the pace that you run at during the week, the better the training adaptation and the faster you get overall. Yeah, absolutely. So if you run, if you, like I see um, with people that I've coached and, and even when I began myself, like every run was the same run. It was all done at the same pace. Whether I was running long or short or fast or slow, it was just I'd go out and run and that's how it was. Even like this morning for my own run, I actually constantly monitored to make sure that I was running slow enough. Yeah. Um, because I have a tendency to, to slip into my own brain, disappear, and, and next minute I'm looking down at my watch and going, hang on, I'm meant to be running six-minute Ks, not 520s. Yeah. So. Even though you probably feel like you can easily run the 520s all day, yeah. Yeah, you've still got to slow it down. Yeah. It's up. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so that was it. Ozias just reaffirmed that too. He just said that there needs to be this big difference between your normal, like your, you know, you sit out and you do your, your serious sessions. They need to be fast in the particular parts of those sessions. But every, you know, your other stuff, it needs to be slow and then you need to have a tempo run that's a tempo run. So, and now I think that's the hardest thing for beginners is working out what on earth that means. Yeah. Um, and spending time with a coach is where you you see the difference you know for a beginner the easy run might actually be walking yeah um and to realize that walking's okay yeah even even with myself on the weekend i went oh i've had to walk these hills but the fact is the walking was okay um i needed to do to do that anyway in an ultra you're not going to run all of an ultra anyway unless you're the top six guys in the world or girls in the world um and, and even those, you know, even Courtney DeWalters, you see her walking. They all walk. So Yeah, absolutely. They all walk at some point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's an important part of training anyway. I, I could not agree more in terms of uh, varying your paces, you know, especially for even more so for ultra runners than um, marathon runners. I think marathon running is, is a discipline that's been um, thoroughly researched you know, and that it's more, I mean, it's never, it's not a perfect science, but it's been perfected a lot more. Um, and I think there's a lot more room and variability that's needed in ultra running and there's st- more research is needed. But one of the things that has definitely come out is that, um, yeah, you need to get used to walking fast, walking slow, walk, running fast, running slow. You need to be dynamic. And I say it a lot, you need to be a jack of all trades, you know, in, um, essentially with your paces and uh i um th- that whole approach if like that you the fast guy you're talking about isaiah is it isaiah isaiah yeah. yeah he um he, he's right in terms of like your fast stuff has to be really fast like so if you're doing like intervals they've got to be way faster than your um than your other what's it called just your easy running like Easy running is going to be stupid, stupidly slow. And the reasoning behind that is, you know, you look at, um, they've looked at it, and it's the best, most effective way to build, um, what's it called, um, the mitochondria in your cells, lay down uh, capillary beds so that your, your body can transport uh, oxygen way more effectively. And because oxygen is the fuel, you know, for when you're running aerobically, you know, even an 800 meter race, it's aerobic, aerobic. And so 
but you just need to be able to run fast at an aerobic pace. And that takes time, spending a lot of time. You look at like what Arthur Lydiard used to talk about, you know, he'd get his runners to do 100 miles a week for ages, really slowly, 100 miles a week. And then, and then to, right near the end, he'd get, he'd, there'd be some real faster interval work. But um, the, the need for that slower running is so, I cannot state it strongly enough. You know, and um, and then also doing yeah, you know, hundred meter sprints, doing um, yeah, threshold running where you're just pushing just into that lactate threshold. You know, like you're just pushing above the line, and um, getting used to running and being in that uncomfortable zone, and and you know, so you know you heard like the whole eighty twenty philosophy like that. I I always just keep coming back to that because it is such a. Um, it's so powerful, you know, 80% of how you run should be super easy. And then the other 20% is detail of speed work. So that can change, you know, you might be doing 20, that of that 20%, most of it might be threshold for a lot of the time, but then you might also, you have to, you need to put in a fair bit of the, the real, the stuff that's way above threshold, but much shorter. And the, what I see a lot of is people doing too much threshold work or, you know, basically going at race pace nearly every day, you know. Um, and so that's, you know, it's and, and for the elite guys, you know, they can run at such a high intensity. Like there's not a lot of difference between um, they, they're, they're built a little differently because they're so there's been so much focus on training and recovery. And you know, amateur runners, you know, we just don't have the time to um, to to rest and recover the way the professional athletes do. We've got to have that time period where we, um, you know, because then we've got to go to work or take care of families, all these other stresses and responsibilities. And so, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm making any sense there, but basically, cannot I think for a beginner runner, running lots of slow mileage is going to make a huge difference. And then you can add in the speed work um, and mix it in. But for a and, and more elite runner, they obviously can get away with a little bit more speed work. But you still look at it, um, you look at some of the training that like Elliot Kipchoge's doing for the, this, he's trying to break the two hour marathon again. And um, he's trying to do it. And I think he will. Um, it's, so, um, it's so fast. His, his slow running is so fast, so people think, oh, I've got to run fast all the time. But, I mean, he, him, for him, a four minute, running at four minutes per kilometre for, for 25, 30 kilometres, that's, that's his easy pace, you know? <laughs> that's exactly right. Everyone's, to, to bring this back down to, to, you know, a nugget of gold, for, especially for beginner runners, um, easy pace is different for everybody. And over time, your easy pace will change. For an absolute beginner, yeah. like the, my thing would be to say that consistency is the most important thing, yeah. number one. So consistently train. Year-round, you train. Now, that training for a beginner is probably going to look something like, let's go 80-20. 20% of your week, you might actually pick up to running pace, and 80% of your week's training would actually be walking. Yep. And then slowly over time, you know, you'll – that walking pace will slowly increase, but that takes time, especially if you've been sedentary for any period of time and you, you wanted to get into running. Um, you know, if you haven't run all your life, running 
mechanically wears your body out. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you have to build up the strength in the correct places, and that takes, again, a long time. So, you know, don't rush in and think, you know, I've got 16 weeks to get ready for some big race. You're better off taking a longer-term approach and, you know, walk as much as you can. So, like, if, if I was to list down, again, for the beginner – the most important thing is rest. That's the first thing you schedule. Yep. Like, you know, and if, you, if you're stressed out at work, you might have to back off a bit with your, your running. And the bit that you back off with is that 20%. Keep your 80%, so go out and do your walks, but, but reduce the amount of high-intensity load. Absolutely. Then, you know, you do your, your easy runs, which could actually be easy walking, and then a little bit of running, and then you'll have – you know, your one long run, which for some people a long run might be five kilometres, it might be ten. A long run for me, you know, is 40 kilometres. It, it depends on the person and you, you need to take that into account. And then your speed and tempo needs to be a really a short little nugget. Um, yeah. You know, and, and that's all you need. And, and then be consistent with all of that. So, yeah, don't stress out if you're – like if you look at everyone else and they're all off running, could have been running for 15 years. Yeah. And if you're just starting out, walking might just be the most important thing you do. Yeah, So absolutely. Yeah. And I think the ultimate goal of all this, of what you've just said, is you want to get faster over, over a given distance. And the best, especially when it comes to longer run, like your marathon and beyond, so into your ultras, you, your goal should be to make, to improve your easy pace. So to, if you're, to, and so by doing that is by going even slower, you know, and that more polarized approach. And so if your easy pace over, and that takes a long time to improve, going, might bring it down from six and a half minutes per kilometer down to five and a half minutes per kilometer. Might take a year or longer, you know, it could take, you know, and like if you can run, there's a big difference. If you're doing a 100K race and you're, and you've managed to bring your easy pace down by over a minute, you know, it's just going to, it's going to make everything better. It doesn't really matter how fast you can run a hundred meters. You know what I mean? Like, um, we're not training to do a 100 meter race. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a lot to it. I think there's some really good, um, research out there. If people want to go digging deeper, I could put a link up. So someone I brought up a lot is, um, Steven Seiler. He, sort of pioneered a lot of research um, on this sort of easy running and zone running, very detailed. He spent a lot of time with Norwegian cross-country skiers. And, um, and yeah, so really fascinating research in there. And then looking at, of course, uh, Matt Fitzgerald, who wrote the book about 80-20 um, running. Um, basically, it was he was writing about Stephen Siler's approach and um, so a little bit more digestible. Um, so it's really fascinating. So, and then also even looking at coaches like Jack Daniels or Arthur Lydiard, whichever way you look at it, they all kind of have the same approach the, the, in terms of the emphasis on running easy. You know, they, they all talk about the importance of speed work, but speed work in ice, I, like I'll say one thing, if you go out and do speed work every single day for a week, and that's all you do, you're going to get injured. <laughs> you know, so, you know, 
that's yeah. So that's that's pretty much it. And I think that's almost um, we almost run out of time. I think. So uh, we we pretty much we're pretty much out of time now. I I've yeah. got to get on to something else. No worries. And um, but yeah, I think the nugget there is uh, rest is really important, and and easy running might actually be walking. Yep. There you go. Um, very good, Ash. And uh, we'll we'll um, I'll let you go from there, and we'll we'll wind up this part of the podcast. And so expect to hear more from Ashley Drew, and they can follow. They can follow you on on uh, Strava or wherever, and I highly recommend you go and check out Ashley's photos. He's not a bad photographer. He the smaller the the smaller the subject, the better though. He likes to take you like your macro photography, don't I you? I do like I do like the detail. Yes. Yeah, excellent. Is um, there's something symbolic about that? I don't know. Some I have to have a think about it, but there's definitely <laughs> some symbolism in there somewhere. All right. Um, good, awesome. Good job, mate. Uh, all right. See you next week. All right, done. Hey, trail runners. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Trail Runners Experience. If you like this podcast and you like what I do here, don't forget to like it, subscribe to it, and share it with your running friends. It really helps the podcast grow when you do that. See you next time on the Trail Runners Experience.